are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lockdown Pistons podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only with it if you enjoy it. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. You can find me on YouTube at Coos Ballroom. You can find me over at Detroit Bad Boys writing articles about the Pistons. And today, man, we got another guest. I had just recently Motor City Hoops on here. We talked a little bit about uh, Keelan Hayes and Seiko Dumboya. And today, I told you guys I was teasing it. I had uh, one of the beat writers coming on. We have Omari Sankofa on here. Thank you for joining me, man. He's the Detroit Free Press beat writer for the Pistons. You can follow him on Twitter at Omari Sankofa. Uh, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, a few days after the season now, so uh, catching up on some sleep and uh, busy all season ahead. So uh, thanks for having me on, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming on here. So I, I'm so before we get into topics, I have to say something funny. I was going to say this to you before we start recording, but I, I'm going to say it now. Your voice is a lot deeper than I, than I remember. <laughs> when, we, when, we, when we did the uh, that little Piston yeah. Zoom call, whatever, in the offseason with everybody, I did not remember your voice being this deep. I don't know. It might be, what's it called? Actually, I just I take that back. My headset, my record, it makes everyone's voices sound deeper. I just thought about that. So I think that is part of the reason why you sound so much deeper. Definitely so. talk, when you started talking, I was like, okay, I did not remember his voice being this deep. What's funny is that I've gotten work, I've gotten like, weirdly like a couple more comments about my voice like this past month than i did previously like i'm i'm <laughs> almost 27 like i don't think my voice is getting deeper anymore but maybe it did i don't know but that's like the third or fourth time i've heard something along those lines like the last few weeks, so. I, I don't no, know yeah, definitely. On, definitely i i it definitely caught me off guard a little bit i'm not gonna lie but maybe it's a vaccine side effect <laughs> yeah definitely but on today's podcast we're gonna sit here we're gonna talk about Amari had his first chance to vote on NBA awards. He tweeted some of these out. We're going to talk about some of his uh, his ballots. And also, obviously, we talked about it yesterday with uh, Bryce at Motor City Hoops. We're going to talk about it a little bit today about the all-rookie first team from Zach Lowe and then compare it to Amari's. We're also going to talk about Jeremy Grant, someone I think that has been kind of forgotten with the Pistons season now that with all the rookies and all the new shoddy toys. Uh, over the past month, he really didn't get to play due to, like, the commitment to the tank. So I think a lot of people kind of forgot about Jeremy Grant. So we're talk about that. And then the final segment, we're going to have a couple quick hitters. I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit about some hip hop. Like I told you guys a little bit about Jay Coleman. Probably going to make some, make some fun of Kendrick Lamar. Uh, <laughs> uh, we can't do that. But, <laughs> but, but also we're talking about some other things, maybe some draft stuff as well. So make sure you stick around for all that. But first, like I said, we're going to talk about Omari and his, uh, all his ballots that he was able to put through today. So, or not today, but yesterday, I believe it was. So we'll go through them a little bit. So, Omari, on your MVP, we'll quick hit, and then we'll get to the rookie team, which obviously is related to the Pistons. But we'll go through all your battles real quick and hit, quick hit them. So tell me real quick, why do you think Jokic is the MVP? I think he's just far and away had the best season, uh, you know, especially you look at Jamal Murray going down, and they pretty much stayed afloat, which, you know, some of that was just, you know, they had other guys step up. Uh, obviously, Michael Porter Jr. had a 
really good breakout season as well. But uh, just, you know, from beginning to end, I just thought he had the best season. I mean, a historically great season for a, a, a center. You know, by now we could probably call him the best passing center ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I thought that was pretty much a no-brainer. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe two and a half months ago, uh, you know, I would have leaned toward Joel Embiid just because of just how good the Sixers were this season. But, you know, especially with Embiid missing 21 games, I just thought it was it was Jokic. I mean, uh, pretty straightforward. It's a really great season. Uh, we've never really seen a, uh, quite an offensive powerhouse like him just from a, a versatility standpoint with, with the passing and shooting. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I thought I thought this was his his MVP season for sure. Uh, just overall, a really good historic season for him. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was like a no brainer. I see a lot of people like trying to make arguments for other people. I know, like a few weeks ago, all of a sudden we got like a seventy two hour like complete like support system for CP three out of nowhere, which was kind of awkward to me. I don't see CP three in your top five. I also agree with you. I don't. Ha- I wouldn't have him in my top five. Uh, I don't want to spend too much on that because it's not Pistons related. But I will say. Uh, I love that you have Steph Curry too, because Steph Curry is my guy and he's a monster. So I'm happy that you have him too. Uh, yeah, I mean Steph. You know, I think the thing about Steph is that you look at his numbers this season, and I mean he was every bit as good as he was during his two MVP seasons. And you know, you look at the Warriors last year, and I mean, you know, you know, of course they 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 added a couple of guys over the summer, but yeah, I mean, I think ignoring the record, you know, and the record wasn't even bad. They were like 36, and and you know they had like five or six games over 500 sort of thing but yes yeah, that wasn't insane this year i mean you know just purely from the mvp argument most valuable player i mean uh you know just his season was in, in, insane and uh you know i know some people had him a little bit lower maybe three four or five but yeah i mean i thought he was a very strong number two easily yep i agree with you so we'll move on to the next one this one is your most improved player which is kind of piston related you can spend a little longer time on this if you want since it has a piston player and a former piston player related in this so you have julius randall winning it i think everyone probably has him winning it but also you have jeremy grant two and christian wood three so just tell me i think i think towards the like midway through the season i think a lot of people were saying jeremy grant but i think it really shifted towards julius randall for this second half uh, and especially with how the Knicks played, just real quick, what at what point do you believe it really shifted to? I believe Jeremy Grant was the front runner for a while. So at what point do you believe? Actually, did you ever have Jeremy Grant as the front runner? And at what point did you think that it like really shifted and Julius Randle really took over? I would say uh, Jeremy Grant was my front runner probably through the All Star break. Uh, you know, because if you just look at it purely from a you know who made the biggest leap forward this season. And for me, I think some of that, like, I think the element of surprise also kind of plays into that as well. Um, like some people had Michael Porter Jr., which, you know, I think he really had a strong argument for number three on my list. But, you know, I think he, Michael Porter Jr. is a guy who probably would have went number three if it weren't for injuries. So, you know, a guy making the leap because they stayed healthy and the reason the potential you thought they could get it's a little bit different from a guy like Jeremy Grant, who's, you know, 26 years old, career role player. And um, they take a bet on themselves. You know, I remember reading a story like last preseason that, you know, Jeremy Grant was going to be the next Kent Bazemore, you know, had a really good season and cashed in and, uh, you know, and then their limitations are exposed after signing it. But uh, yeah, I mean, Jeremy Grant, I mean, he was really good as a number one option this year. Uh, percentage just kind of fell off toward the end of it, but he was shooting like close to 40% for three, but for a good portion of the season before I think he just kind of wore down toward the end. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, he just got better in so many areas. I mean, you know, for him to get much better in isolation, you know, something he wasn't really doing previously. And, you know, he was a guy that kind of became a go-to guy toward the end. Uh, you know, he really didn't make a leap forward. You know, I think he was better than probably anybody could have reasonably guessed, except the Pistons front office, obviously, because, you know, I think they kind of saw this coming. Uh, yeah, but he was pretty firmly my number one until, like, the all-star break. Uh, once New York really began to take off, uh, you know, I think and Julius Randle, it became clear just how much better he had become, uh, you know, especially just as a shooter, you know, for him to just be, you know, pretty much a below-league average shooter for his entire career. You know, and then for this season to shoot 40% on high volume, I mean, that's just a huge increase. Uh, you know, was still a really good playmaking power forward. Uh, I mean, just turned into an alpha dog, basically. You know, that's a leap. Uh, you know, again, I don't think a lot of people maybe saw from him. Uh, you know, obviously he's a player that you can build around, but for him to become like, you know, a true number one guy, uh, you know, I think was just really impressive. I mean, Julius Randle was a dog this season. Also, I'm number five on my MVP ballot. Uh, you know, I thought he deserved some MVP love because people thought the Knicks were going to win like 20 games. Like, I don't think anybody, except the most diehard of Knicks fans, you know, saw the Knicks <laughs> making the playoffs comfortably this year. Uh, yeah. You know, and now on Twitter, you see people, you know, like, ha ha, I told you so, this and that. It's like, yeah. <laughs> they were, like you know, I, I don't think anyone had them winning more than 25 games. So, uh, yeah, Ju- Julius Randle, you know, I thought was pretty easily just my MVP, uh, you know, because they would not have been that good if it weren't for him and for Thibs coming in and just completely reinventing their defense. Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you. I Julius Randle, I really wanted Jeremy to win it. But I, I, like you said, I think Julius Randle really took the bull by the horn and, and made it to where uh, Jeremy just it, – it's not even the fact that Jeremy, like, wasn't deserving of it. It's just that Julius Randle went psycho. And it's just, like, you can't really take it from him, especially with how well he's – like, I believe I saw a tweet earlier that, saw, that said that, like, how many Knicks players have, like, jumped, like, eight percentages in their three-point percentage. And it's just, like, it's wild. And he's one of them. I think he went from 27% to 40% or something. It's crazy. But – yeah, we'll skip. Let's let's just skip through real quick some of his other ballots, and then we're gonna come right back. We're gonna hit with an ad real quick, but then we'll we'll come back with the all rookie first team. But Amari went on to have defensive player of the year. He had Rudy Gobert as the defensive player of the year. That's um, Rudy Gobert gets like unnecessary hate for some reason. I don't know why everyone just hates him, but uh, yeah, I, I probably agree with you there. Ben Simmons also I saw was getting a lot of love, but I think it's Rudy Gobert. Uh, sixth man, you put Joe Ingles. I thought it was Jordan Clarkson all season, but I've seen a lot of people put Joe Ingles, which is kind of crazy that Utah has, like, two guys at the very top of their list. It's pretty crazy. Um, so then, rookie of the year, Amari had LaMelo Ball winning it over Anthony Edwards. I think that one was pretty close, but LaMelo Ball, I think, was obviously the better rookie. I think the only thing that ever made it close was the fact that he got hurt. So I agree with Amari there. Coach of the year, he has Tom Thibodeau and then Monty Williams second. I believe that it was just reported yesterday that, that Monty Williams ended up winning, wasn't it? That he ended up getting it. That was a separate award. So uh, uh, this, this this award is going to be announced probably when they do you know their award ceremony whenever they do oh, it okay. this year. Uh, I still think Monty probably has a strong chance to win. Uh, you know the actual award as well. Uh, I mean that was pretty close to me. Um, I think I went with Tibbs because just going back to the one thinking the Knicks were going to be good this season. Uh, you know for them to be like one of the top defensive teams. Uh, you know that's. I mean, of course, that's that's the stems, right? You know, you look at this roster and, yeah. you know, you're not seeing a whole lot of guys who are like, you know, outstanding defenders. But, you know, but it's just that Tim scheme. And, you know, we've seen them in, in the past, you know, just come in and uh, completely reinvent teams on that end. Uh, so to get the Knicks comfortably into the playoffs, I mean, not even play in tournament, like, you know, just just a complete transformation of that 
team. You know, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, you know, you saw a lot of eye rolls, even in media and whatnot, when they first hired Tibbs. Like, you know, Riveting yeah. was part three of this. Um, just proved everybody wrong. Uh, Monty Williams, yeah. you know, very close number two. I mean, Phoenix had an incredible season. Uh, you know, I think some of that was, you know, of course, they went 8-0 in the bubble. So on some level, you know, you could, you know, we kind of saw this coming, uh, which isn't a knock against them for the award, obviously. But, you know, I don't think it was as surprising that Phoenix made a leap forward this season. I think a lot of people kind of saw them making the playoffs, uh, you know, maybe not be as dominant as they were, uh, you know, winning 51 games. But, uh, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I penalized Monty for getting them rolling before the season started because I didn't. But just from that pure element of surprise, you know, I think, you know, for Tibbs to get the Knicks, uh, you know, that good in such a short period of time, especially with just how haphazard last offseason was, you know, teams barely had any any preparation beforehand, uh, you know, to get the Knicks to 41 wins, you know, top four seed, uh yeah, I, I just think overall that was a little bit more impressive. But, I mean, it's more or less 1A or 1B. You know, I think that vote could be pretty close when it comes down to it. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that one as well. I'd probably give it to Tibbs over uh, Williams for the same reasons you just listed. But, like I said, when we come back, we're going to talk about Amari's first-team all-rookie team that has one slight difference than Zach Lowe's that we talked about yesterday. I'm sure you guys could probably guess what that is. But before we get to that, let me tell you about one of our sponsors, Rock Auto. You ever need a part for your car, head to the store, go through a ton of confusing questioning just for one of the workers to tell you that they don't have the parts that you're looking for? I know I have. I've told you all the time, told all of you guys all the time about this nasty Ford Focus I have out there that just constantly breaks down. I have to deal with this all the time. But that's why you should avoid these problems and rock with another one of our sponsors, rockauto.com. Find whatever part you're looking for on your, fo- on your computer or in your hand on your phone using rockauto.com. Don't worry about having to create an account or make a membership. Just head over to rockauto.com and start shopping. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest and most reliable prices. Head over to RockAuto.com right now and see all the available parts for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. <clears throat> so, like I said to you guys, we're going to come back with the all-rookie first team that Omari just did. He had LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Emmanuel Quickly, and Detroit's own Sadiq Bey. So that obviously is a little bit different from what we talked about yesterday about Zach Lowe's. Zach Lowe's had LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, Anthony Edwards, which I think we all can agree are locks. He had Emmanuel Quickly, which I believe is, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can say he's as a lock as these other three, but I think I've seen him on almost everybody's first team. The one that looks like has shocked everybody, and we talked about yesterday with Bryce from Motor City Hoops, but... It's Desmond Bain on his first team all-rookie team. Now, Amari has Desmond Bain on his second team all-rookie. But I think it's honestly really shocking that Sadiq Bey did not make his all-rookie first team. Now, I don't want I don't want to say that like I, I know I'm a Pistons, I'm a Pistons person, so I may be biased, but I really don't think that I'm biased at all for saying Sadiq Bey should have been on the first team all-rookie team. So Omar, what did you think about Zach Lowe leaving him off? Do you think that you are having a little bias since you cover the Pistons with Sadiq Bey, uh, him, him being on your first team all-rookie? Or do you think that he actually like should have been on there? Because I personally, before Zach Lowe's even came out, I thought Sadiq was damn near a lock to be on the first team all-rookie. I think uh, one thing Zach Lowe did say in his piece was that, you know, I think after his like top three, which everybody's top three, I'm sure was, you know, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and uh, Tyrese Halliburton, that he had a lot of guys who were just sort of in like the same tier. You know, I think uh, quickly Tate, Bain, Stewart, 
um, maybe a couple other guys uh, were kind of in that second tier for him, and uh, he just kind of had to make a decision on who's first and who's second. Uh, you know, I think so. I don't, I don't think that was necessarily as big of a slight on Sadiq Bay as it may have appeared. I mean, you know, I know when I put my list out, you know, of course, a lot of Houston fans were upset about Jason Tate. Like, how is he second team? And it's like, well, you know, like he was really good. You know, ultimately, you just have to make a, you know, a judgment call. Like, you can't put seven players on your first team. So, you know, some guys kind of have to be second. You know, it's not an indictment on this season because he was really good. Uh, I kind of saw it the same way for, like, you know, Zach Lowe and Sadiq. And, you know, of course, you could probably nitpick Desmond Bain getting in uh, over Sadiq. But, uh, you know, I also had Bain on my second team, and Bain, you know, did shoot the ball really well. Uh, you know, didn't have quite as high volume as, as uh, Sadiq Bay, but, you know, for Desmond Bain to come in and be as efficient as he was, uh, you know, I don't know if people expected that right off the bat, although I do think people thought that Bain was one of the guys in the draft who could be a day one contributor, which he was. Um, ultimately, the difference for me is, you know, and I don't think I was I was biased at all. I mean, Sadiq Bay hit 175 threes. Uh, you know, I think he shot 38%, uh, you know, which, of course, is really good for any player, let alone a rookie. Um, you know, if, if this were a full 82 game season and, you know, Sadiq had 10 extra games, uh, he almost certainly would have beat Donovan Mitchell's three point record, uh, you know, which was 187, uh, you know, Sadiq may have gotten that in three games, <laughs> you know, just looking yeah. at, you know, played last season. And I do think if he had gotten that record, he probably university would have been first team just because of the, you know, positive PR that would have come with that, you know, just the news that would have come with that. So, uh, yeah, I guess that was the difference for me. Uh, you know, this is a guy that uh, would have had a historic rookie season, still did have a historic rookie season. I mean, he still, you know, hit one of the highest totals of three-pointers for any rookie ever. But uh, this was a guy that basically had a historic rookie season that, you know, he just didn't quite have enough time to actually set the record. But, yeah, for Sadiq Bey to come in, uh, you know, he was a starter for almost a full season. Uh, you know, we really saw him get better over the course of the year. I mean, he really couldn't make anything inside the three-point arc for the first 20 games or so. And then, you know, he really got a lot better as a finisher. Uh, you know, you kind of see signs of him, you know, having like a little mid-range fadeaway and, uh, you know, experimenting with the post-up game. So I think we could see him come back next season and really have a more complete offensive package. But just purely for the vote, you know, for this time around, uh, for me, it just was the not only the accuracy from, from deep, but just the volume and the fact that he – possibly could have got that record that uh, I think just kind of gave him the edge for me. All right. So I, I heard what you said about some of the reasoning with Zach Lowe's. One of the reasonings I saw, I, now I didn't read the article, uh, but I listened, I saw a bunch of people screenshotting it and showing like his reasoning for it. So I saw one of the reasonings was uh winning record, being on a winning team. Um, so just, just give me your, let me tell you my opinion on seeing something like that. And then you tell me what you think about it. Um, I think that probably, I, like, okay, so for Zach Lowe, I expect more from Zach Lowe because I think Zach Lowe's like the smartest one at ESPN of all the, like, he's not Stephen A. Smith or anything. Like, I, so I expect a lot out of him. He actually seems to be like the smart one there. Um, but to say winning with rookie teams, it, it's kind of like backwards and like really dumb to me because most likely, like every year, like maybe this year you had a little bit, some exceptions with LaMelo getting his team to the play on team, which they got destroyed. So they weren't really a good team. They just like, were in a, like if they, if there wasn't a playing tournament, they wouldn't have been in the playoffs. So and they weren't really a good team. Uh, neither was Anthony Edwards team, uh, Tyree Halliburton's team, not really that good. 
uh, like a lot of these guys are not really good. And you want to know why? Because like if you're a good rookie, you're likely being drafted by a bad team because bad teams are at the top of the draft. So like that's why I've never thought that winning should ever be taken to account with like rookie teams, like MVP, all NBA, like that kind of stuff. Of course, like with all rookie teams, like if you're a good rookie, it's likely because you're on a bad team because a bad team drafted you. That's how it works. Like bad teams are at the top of the draft. They get the top picks. They get the best players out the draft. So like using winning record really make like makes no sense to me at all for that to be a reasoning. And then, like you said, with Sadiq, he would have shattered that record, I think, if there was 82 games. And also he had a few DMPs at the beginning of the year too that he didn't even end up playing in. So I think he would have shattered that record if there was 82 games. And then also, I think he broke the record for most five plus three pointers in a rookie season. Wasn't it by Steph, I think it was, who held it first. So he, he did. He broke, yeah. So he broke that one too. So I just, the, the winning record argument kind of like irked me the most because it's like that doesn't even make sense because, like, who's the only, who's the only one on here who was on a winning team? Was it, you have Payne Pritchard on your, your second team. I guess he was on Celtics, Composo, Nuggets, and then you got quickly the Knicks. But these, like, like, are we saying that these guys are the reason why they're good? Like, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, it just doesn't make much sense to me to use winning record. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think record is a factor, you know, to the extent that, you know, you help your team, like, you know, win, basically. Like, you know, you are on a team that already has an established rotation, and maybe because of injuries you have to be thrusted into it and you held your own. Like, I think that was the argument for Compasso. You know, like Jamal Murray goes down, he starts into a bigger role. And, you know, he plays really well. You know, and of course, Capazzo is not your typical rookie. I mean, he, he was a star overseas. You know, he's 25 years old. But, uh, you know, to an extent, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't use that argument to punish a guy for being on a bad team, right? Like, you know, I didn't put Tate on my second team because he, you know, played for the worst team in the NBA. Like, you know, that's not his fault, yeah. obviously. You know, and same for, like, uh, Anthony Edwards. You know, like, uh, some people are arguing that he was rookie of the year because, you know, the Timberwolves started winning – uh, when he started playing well, uh, which, you know, my counterpoint to that is that, you know, the Timberwolves, I think from top to bottom are more talented than that Hornets team without Gordon Hayward. So, yeah, he started playing well, but, you know, I think the Timberwolves probably were <laughs> were underachieving a little bit, you know, before they went on that yeah. run at the end. So you kind of have to balance it out. But, uh, yeah, I think I think it's just like a case-by-case basis. You know, I think, you know, there are some scenarios where if you're a rookie on a good team, you contribute to winning then, you know, that should account for something. You know, I think Desmond Bain was eighth in total minutes last year, uh, you know, which, you know, he had a big role for a Grizzlies team that, you know, struggled with COVID. You know, they had to run a game toward the end. They really kind of had to hustle to get that playing tournament win in. Uh, you know, they lost to the Pistons, to everybody scoring on both sides. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> Don't but... get me started again on Dylan Brooks. <laughs> Dylan, Dylan Brooks I, yeah. I had a whole podcast dedicated to Dylan Brooks <laughs> secretly being a Detroit Piston for the night. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, it, it wasn't a good stretch of minutes at the end for him. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I would, I I think it's just very situational in general for when, when it comes into account. But I think broadly, like if you're using the winning argument to punish rookies for not being a winning team, so then like I would think that that doesn't make much sense. Like you could award a rookie for stepping in on a team that really needs you to play well right now and you know gets you to that playoff spot, but. I wouldn't punish a rookie for, you know, not being able to do that. Like, I wouldn't punish uh, Sadiq Bey for playing for a 21 team because why would you, right? So, uh, yeah, I think it's more situational for me, but I do tend to avoid doing that if I can. Yeah, I, it's just like for me, it's 
it just doesn't make sense for like the rookie like like I said for like all NBA and stuff like if you want to do like impact on a team and like winning and all that stuff like obviously you should but like rookie teams I will agree with you like for like example you threw out like Composo you had to be thrown in if you want to give him that like kind of argument to get him into a team fair but like like I don't see how like oh well you know I like I think we can agree that Sadiq Bay was just better than Bain this year I think he was just better uh, he was a starter all season. I think he's just like, especially, I guess my argument is that when a rookie's just better, it just feels like that he's just better. Winning shouldn't matter for all rookie teams. Like, it just shouldn't. It just should be who's the better rookie. Uh, and I feel like, at least from what uh, the screenshots I saw, that was one of the arguments being made against Sadiq Bey. And I just think that's, I, I think when Sadiq, I think Sadiq Bey was just clearly better than Desmond Bain this year. Like, Desmond Bain was fine. Uh, he deserves to be on an all rookie team, but I think Sadiq Bey was just very clearly better. So using losing record of the Pistons against him was kind of kind of dumb to me. I don't, I don't really like it, but it is what it is. We'll see if he actually ends up getting on the first team or not. I see, like I said uh, at the beginning of this, Omari did have Sadiq Bey on his first team. On his second team, though, he did have Jayshon Tate, Isaiah Stewart, Desmond Bain, Payne Pritchard, and Compazzo. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Uh, one of the things, I did see someone tweet this, and then we'll move into the next segment about uh, Jeremy Grant. But I did see someone tweet that they thought Isaiah Stewart should have been first team over Sadiq Bay. I don't agree with that. I that's that's I can't get on board with that one. I know Pistons fans want to have all their guys on there, but it's just not realistic to have both of them on there. And I think Isaiah Stewart definitely is probably second team all rookie. I think Sadiq Bay one hundred percent deserves first team all rookie though. So when we come back, we're gonna talk about Jeremy Grant and his season that kind of got forgotten. And then also, like I said, uh, definitely gonna take take some shots at uh. K dot uh, when we get back, when we get back and talk a little bit about J Cole's album, but uh, before that, let me tell you about one of our sponsors, one of the reoccurring ones, Betonline AG. Betting is now legal in Michigan, and if you're anything like me, you want to take advantage of that instantly. However, there's one problem I constantly ran into. There's just so many different apps to bet through. Which betting app is the best to use? Which one is the best for me? That's when I found Betonline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL season might be over. But the NBA playoffs and the MLB and NHL are still in full swing. If you want to take your adventures beyond sports, however, BetOnline has you covered there too. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, things I didn't even know you could bet on. BetOnline has real-time updated odds and props on just about anything you can imagine. BetOnline is the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head over to BetOnline now to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and make sure you use promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And then also, let me tell you about another one of our sponsors. Obviously, your guys' favorite sponsor, Built Bar. The best-tasting protein bar on the planet Earth comes with a variety of flavors, including six new flavors and caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. All flavors are covered in incredible tasting chocolate and are soft and easy on the teeth to chew. These bars are low in calorie and sugar, but high in protein and fiber. A flavor I suggest is the peanut butter flavor, packed with 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams net carbs. So go try the Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. So like I said, we're going to get into Jeremy Grant now. But real quick, Omari, I have to ask you this. So for like the first like two weeks on this podcast, like I was I was reading this Built Bar live read. And, and <laughs> so like all the flavors, this one is called Cherry Barcia. Now, for like the longest, I kept pronouncing it Cherry Barca or Cherry Barca. 
And then eventually someone was like, cool, it's Cherry Barcia, and it's a play on the dude from I already forget the band's name, like the wrong <laughs> uh the wrongful I don't remember it. His name's Jerry Garcia. Have you heard of that man before? I have heard of Jerry Garcia. I'm not I'm no Jerry <laughs> Garcia expert, but I I'm familiar with Jerry Garcia for sure. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> all right so see this did not work out how i thought it was gonna be because i believe me and amari are like around the same age amari you're 26 right yeah i'm 26 all right so i'm 23 so like me and amari are like around the same age like so we grew up around the same generation i have no idea who the hell that was so like fans were <laughs> fans were dming me like who how the hell don't you know who jerry garcia is like what's wrong with you he has this he has that and then there's one listener who constantly tweets me random quotes from him, which is pretty cool. He has like, apparently like thousands of quotes or whatever. But everyone was getting on me because apparently I just didn't know who this was and didn't know it was supposed to be a play on his name. So I was hoping that like another person around my age would be like, yeah, I don't know who that is, but that did not work how I thought it would go. So <laughs> I yeah, guess I'm well, just out of the loop. To be clear, I'm no, I mean, I'm no Grateful Dead expert by any means. I probably couldn't name a Grateful, Grateful Dead. Song. There you go. Yeah, there you I'm go. Probably, That's the band. <laughs> yeah, I probably couldn't name a Grateful Dead song if it came on the radio. Like, I think when, like, you know, it's an era that was, like, before you, like, your knowledge pretty much comes from your parents, right? So, like, if your parents didn't listen to Grateful Dead, you're not going to know anything about Grateful Dead. Like, there was a, yeah. like, there was, like, a, there was a, a really famous Beatles song that I knew the tune of, you know, my whole life. Like, if it comes on the radio, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that song. Then I was the Beatles to like a year ago, and then I was like, "Oh, okay, you know, For like, real? you know." But my parents didn't listen to the Beatles ever, so you know, we weren't listening to like radio that where the Beatles would play, you know. And like, and on my own, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I just don't live a, a Beatles type lifestyle. I guess I'm not really encountering the Beatles in my everyday life that often. So, you know, that's no, kind of yeah, how I it goes. Like the Beatles, either. Yeah, so like I know the name Jerry Garcia, but I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that I don't make that connection at all or any other Grateful Dead reference <laughs> just because. You know, that was like 50 years ago. You know, how much could you possibly know? Yeah, so I, there you go. So I guess at least he, <laughs> he knows who it is. You guys can still make fun of me. I, it is what it is. I didn't know who the hell this dude was. I'm sorry. It is what it is. I'm not going to apologize for it, but it is what it is. But uh, like I said, we're going to get into Jeremy Grant's season. So before the season, I think it was obviously very clear and very talked about a lot that Jeremy Grant – was basically going to be a bust of a signing. I think Omari saw that. I think he saw that amongst NBA Twitter and amongst the national fan base, uh, national writers. Like, no one, I think, outside of the Pistons front office and a few people in, like, the Pistons fan base were very high on this signing. Uh, at one point, I saw people comparing him to Josh Smith in the Pistons community. Okay, so that should give you, like, an idea of what people thought of it. And then he had his preseason. And his preseason, he, really, he seemed to struggle. So then everyone was taking victory laps. Everyone was posting his shot charts. Everyone was taking their victory laps, which if you guys follow me on Twitter and at Detroit Bad Voice, I wrote an article midway through the season putting all those people on blast. I put every single tweet in there, and I, I, I put them all on blast. So go check that out if you want. But Jeremy Grant ended up shutting all of them up this season. He ended up averaging 22.3 points a game, 4.6 rebounds, 2.8 assists, and I believe 55.6 true shooting percentage. Uh, yeah, 55.6 true shooting percentage. So, Amari, what did you think, before we get in-depth about it, Just what was your overall thoughts about Jeremy's season this year? I mean, I thought he did exactly what he needed to do, you know, to show that that decision that he made to leave the Nuggets was, you know, worthwhile for himself. You know, for him to basically, you know, double a lot of his averages across the board, you know, still shoot pretty well from three, even though that kind of fell off after around the All-Star break. Uh, you know, just overall, just thrive as a go-to guy. Uh just had some really big scoring performances, 
And, uh, you know, and there's people with the Pistons who think that he still has another tier that he can get to. Uh, this was a great season for him. Um, you know, of course, when the Pistons gave him that $60 billion contract, you know, there were some people who were like very vocally against it, you know, like wondering why they would put so much trust uh, and faith into a guy who had not, you know, previously shown that he could do what he did this season, uh, which I think uh, like the night of the signing or maybe not long after last year, uh, you know, I was pretty adamant that even if he were the same player he was in Denver in 2019-20, that contract would still age pretty well because uh, you just look at the type of money that elite role players are signing. Uh, you know, like I think Marcus Morris signed like, you know, four years, 64 million. Uh, you know, I don't think it's that outrageous that, you know, Jeremy Grant would get 360. Uh, you know, if you just kind of look at the range of contracts that were being signed last year, you know, I think uh, Davis Berton signed something <laughs> Davis around, Bertans. What, you know, like he signed something around what Jeremy Grant signed, you know, obviously yeah. he's a better shooter, but, you know, not close to the same caliber of defender. But, you know, elite role players get paid, you know, 20 million a year, you know, now is not what 20 million a year was, you know, four years ago, uh, you know, like that's mm-hmm. good role player money now. Uh, so, you know, I just didn't think this contract would age bad for the Pistons unless he got hurt or something. You know, I just didn't think it was a bad deal. But uh, no, I mean, he surpassed everybody's expectations. You know, I think, you know, after preseason, uh, even if you thought, you know, this contract could still age pretty well. Uh, he did look a bit overmatched as a uh, a number one option during preseason, uh, you know, and that was like the first time the Pistons as a roster or most of the roster, at least I played basketball since like March. So, you know, I think those early games, I mean, some of the worst basketball, NBA basketball I've seen, honestly, <laughs> you know, I don't know if those were, I don't know how much you can really take away from those, but um, yeah, I mean, of course proved everybody wrong. I mean, you know, he, He's really good at getting to the rim. Uh, you know, he just takes long strides. You know, he, he doesn't even like, you know, he isn't like Euro-stepping all the time. But, you know, he's just really strong and powerful getting to the rim. Uh, you know, good spot-up shooter. You know, he showed you know, he could be a pretty good playmaker for others, uh, you know, which is something that I think he can grow next season. Uh, the Wayne Casey talked a lot about him just being able to read defenses better because he had never had multiple defenders thrown at him probably in, in one play as much as he did this season. So, you know, it's just him learning those second and third reads. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the season was a huge leap forward for him. Uh, you know, I think the Pistons probably feel pretty comfortable that, uh, you know, if he's their number one or number two option up in the next three seasons, you know, you'll be in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, of course, some of that, you know, they'll need to nail this draft pick and, you know, they'll need some other guys to step up. Like, hopefully Killian could be a lot more of a, a primary scorer to take some pressure off of Jeremy. But you know, overall, I mean, this was a successful season for him. You know, I think he has some momentum going into the offseason and, and uh, it'd be cool to see where he goes from here. Uh, because we just don't see players his age too often, like really begin like the second stage of their career where, you know, it looks like they can really take that next step as a, a player and a star. So yeah, overall good season for Jeremy Grant. Uh, excited to see what he does next year. Definitely. I, I completely agree with everything you said. And also this was something that you mentioned earlier, which I already had this stat up, which is pretty cool that you were thinking basically what I had up here. Uh, so if you had to take a guess, do you have synergy uh, I had synergy and I uh, don't have it now, but you know, I still kind of use it with the, you know, NBA stats. You can put up a lot of the same stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm still pretty tuned into it, but I need to get my synergy account back because not having it kind of sucked. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's very helpful. It helps me yeah. all the time. Even though I wish I had yeah. video access, I don't have that. That sucks. But uh, anyways, uh, what I was going to say is if you had to take a guess, 
at where Jeremy Grant ranked in isolation this year, does give me your ballpark, what you think he where he ranked, what percentile? Sixty five. Okay, that you actually got a lot closer than I thought you would. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought I did not think you were gonna say sixty five. I thought you were going a little lower. It actually yeah. is higher. He's in seventy first percentile this year. He scored point nine seven. What'd you say? Okay, okay, yeah, I, I did get pretty close. All right. <laughs> yeah, you were you were pretty close. I did not expect you to get that close. But he he scored zero point nine seven five points per possession, which synergy ranks as very good. So there's also another thing he had. He was a pick and roll ball handler. He was average uh, according to synergy. Um, but off handoffs, he was in the seventy seventh percentile. So I think a lot of basically what I'm saying is that. He did. He showed a lot of progress and a lot of just like surprise with the ball in his hands. Um, I think a lot of it, like you said, has to do with his long strides as well. Like, like he could take one dribble and like get to the basket from like damn near half court, and it's and he dunked the ball. Uh, so I think that helps him a lot. But also, I think he showcased a lot more, like better handle than people thought he had too as well. So, I mean, I I think this season was just overall just a great season for him. Like you said, he started to wear down down the stretch, but like. I was on. I was guest on a on a podcast earlier today before this one. I said the same thing. Um, if you watch the Pistons, I don't think that like people outside Detroit will look at his percentages fall and be like, "Oh yeah, look, see, he's going back to what we thought. He's not actually that blah blah like all that stuff." But if you watch the Pistons, I think you you would see that like one, it started to wear down when like Blake and Derek left, and there's basically no other threat on the on the team that could like create a, a, a bucket for himself or the team. So the entire defense was focused on him, which I think if you do that to anybody, unless your name's Steph Curry or Nikola Jokic or something, you're going to struggle a little bit. And also, too, even with his struggles percentage-wise, you still saw, like, good things from him. So, like, one of the things that I pointed out earlier is that his free throw attempts, he had, he had ended up averaging 6.4 free throw attempts on the year. That's more than – and where, where else did he, he – in his second year in Philly, he averaged 4.2 attempts, but – Ever since then, he was at three, two, two. And this year, he had a career-high 84% from the stripe. So he was getting to the line. He was drawing fouls. He was still getting to the basket, taking contact, and making his free throws. And I know Dwayne Casey said in one of the post-game questions, or not post-game, but uh, after the season questions, that uh, he'd like to see Jeremy get a little bit stronger and handle some of the contact on these drives because he does take a beating. But overall, is what I'm saying is that his percentages dropped, but you still saw things that you wanted to see from him. The percentages were bound to drop with the the attention he was drawing on a team that was bad. But he still was able to get to the rim. He showed crafty finishes, strong finishes. He was getting to the rim. He was he was drawing fouls. He was taking contact. And like you said, I think one of the things that like kind of got glossed over, and honestly, his whole season got glossed over because of the Pistons' new shiny toys with Sadiq Bey, Killian Hayes, and Isaiah Stewart. You know how fans are. Like like I said this, I said this on the last podcast too. I'm not going to be shocked if like Next year when the Pistons get, like, whoever they get, let's say they get in the top five, whoever they draft, like, they're the new shiny toy now. And everyone stops, stops talking about Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart, Killian Hayes, because this is the new, uh, new uh, whatever, new player now. So everyone's going to love them. It, I see this happen all the time with Pistons fans. It happened last year with Sekou. Last year, Sekou was God, and he was like the – what did – Marcus Morris – no, Marquise Morris, I think, called him the Prince of Detroit or whatever. So it was all this hoopla about Sekou. And then this season, he takes a back burner to all the rookies. I think it's going to happen again next year. This is how Pistons fans are. But Jeremy Grant's season got just put in the back burner. And one of the things that like really got underrated was his playmaking, like you said. He averaged 2.8 assists a game this year, which is more than double his career – well, no, is double his career high before this, which obviously is not like 
something to like write home about if you're like not paying attention to the games. But some of the things that he was doing in the game, some of the reads he was making, like you said, like you said, down the stretch, he was getting to the rim, seeing rotators come and making that kick out to the corner. I saw him a couple times make the skip to the corner. That is a pretty tough pass to make as a main ball handler. Uh, something you really want to see. He had a couple drop offs too, where he read uh, like like Isaiah Stewart cutting down the middle or so, and his defender coming, he dropped it off. Like there's a couple of good passes they showed and reason to believe that he could improve in that area, maybe to like four assists, five assists a game, somewhere around there as a main guy. So I think there was a lot of things to like about Jeremy Grant's season. He really did have such a fantastic season, and his percentages now on this season, since he struggled from that area, like down the stretch, is going to like make it look a little worse than it actually is. But don't 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 be mistaken. He had a fantastic season. I can't wait to see what he's going to do next year. Yeah, and a big thing about Jeremy too is uh, you know when you look at what he did prior to this season that you know maybe led Trey Weaver, who you know of course was an assistant GM when Jeremy was in OKC for two years, so he was seeing a lot of stuff that you know we weren't seeing. But you know he's always been good at drawing fouls, and I think that was one of the biggest things that translated this year. Uh, you know, looking at cleaning the, cleaning the glass now, uh, he was in the the ninety fifth. Uh, you know, percentile as far as uh, drawing shooting fouls, um, you know, which of, of course is, is big. Uh, you know, he could probably finish through contact better because that's one thing he did pretty well the last two years and that kind of plummeted this year, which, you know, probably is just because he wasn't getting as clean lanes as he was getting uh, as he was with uh, Denver. But uh, yeah, I think if he gets stronger, I think he can improve as a passer for sure. You know, assuming the Pistons get more shooting this offseason, I think that should help him a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, I think he could, there's definitely another tier he can get to. Uh, you know, just looking at this season, um, there's really not a lot he needs to add, you know, just to get to that next level. And I think a lot of it is just the Pistons getting better as a team so that they can make life easier for him. Yeah, completely agree with you. Definitely need to add some shooting because it, the shooting is is lack thereof on, on this team, if, just to keep it blank. But uh, thank you for coming on here and talking Pistons. Now this, I'm, I'm going to like end it right here for all you guys who don't really care about <laughs> about hip hop. But if any of you guys are like into that stuff, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are, uh, if you guys, I'm, we're going to talk a little bit for like maybe the next five or so minutes, talk about this as a focus, with some quick fun at them. So you guys can go ahead and exit out now if you don't care about anything else but Pistons talk. We're going to be done with that. Thank you for coming on here and talking about the Pistons, obviously. Make sure you guys go follow him. On Twitter, at Omari Sankofa. He is the Detroit beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Uh, but, but Omari, man, we got we to talk about something <laughs> real quick, dog. So, um, J. Cole came out with an album this week. So, just real quick, tell me, does what, what would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? And what was your favorite song on the album? Uh, I would rate it like... <laughs> like if like it, it did make a really good first impression for me like just to like cut up your faces a little bit like the reason why you know this kind of comes up is because like uh you know people may think i'm a j cole hater really i'm not a j cole hater i am just confused <laughs> as to why he is as popular as he is you know like i used to really like j cole when i was in high school during like the you know friday night lights uh you know warm-up era and then when he started dropping albums like i just thought the albums just started kind of going downhill a little bit um but anyway, this album came out, and like three weeks ago, I was like, uh, you know, this pandemic brain has really gotten to me because I'm excited for this J. Cole drop. And, you know, <laughs> some folks were like, yeah, that's right. You know, I love Omari, speaking for the people, you know, the person, the J. Cole fans, like, cool. You know, they're like, dude, <laughs> you're crazy. Like, you know, like, how can you not like J. Cole? Um, which I don't, I don't dislike J. Cole. I, I think it just confuses me that he has become as popular as he's gotten because for like the lane that he's in, I just feel like there's like a lot of rappers that do it better. 
but as far as this album, I probably give it like like a six point five ish. Like it was solid. You know, it wasn't like <laughs> it was okay. Like you know, I like that. I like that. <laughs> it was okay. Like you know, like it's not gonna be on my end of the year list. But you know, it's probably a couple songs I I like spend on it. Uh, J Cole didn't didn't preach too much. You know, he wasn't trying to hate on all the the new school rappers, many of whom I enjoy listening to. That's one thing about Cole. He's a oh hater. god, you're killing me, dude! You're killing me. Uh, favorite killing song, me, favorite song is "Decline Back." He dropped that last year, and that was like my favorite J. Cole song in a while. So "Decline Back" is great, but album as a whole, like six six point five range, probably for me. All right, so Amari is just killing me over here, man. He's killing. Listen me. to what I'm saying. Like you say something negative about J. Cole fans, and you uh, J. Cole fans act like you like. Ran over a, a, a puppy or something, you know. It's like, how could you possibly, you know? Like, now I'm a Kendrick fan. And people hate on Kendrick. It's like, you know, like it is what it is, you know. Like, you know, I think Kendrick is the goat, but if you don't like him, then you know, I see your, your difference. Oh my like, gosh, so you think he's yeah. the guy? Right, okay, let's let's just tackle one thing at a time here. Let's just right. tackle one thing at a time. Yeah. So, so my favorite song on the album is "Punching the Clock." Uh, okay. At first, it was applying pressure, but. I mean, I was going to say it's not that long of a song, but also Punching the Clock isn't that long of a song either. But so, I mean, I, I would say Punching the Clock is probably my favorite one. I like that one. But uh, over, so I'll, I'll keep it a stack with you. I'll, I'll be 100 with you. So, like, when I first listened to it on the first listen, I really liked it. I, I had it like a, I would say like an eight and a half out of 10. But then on second listen, I didn't like it as much on second listen. Like, there are a few songs I'm probably not going to. So like let's look okay so let's go ahead and look at it. so like the first five songs I think I'd probably listen to like I'm going to add to my playlist I'd add 95 South Amari uh, My Life Applying Pressure and Punching the Clock I I'd listen to those songs uh, again uh, the Climb Back I'd listen to that again but then outside of that I'm probably not going to listen to any the Pride is the Devil I actually mess with Pride is the Devil and I to be honest it's probably because of the little baby's ver- uh, verse as well um. But so anyways, basically what I'm saying is I probably lower it to like a seven and a half, seven on second listen. So I think it'd probably be like the true, my true feelings is probably in between there somewhere. So probably like a seven and a half somewhere. Um, it definitely, I, I, I like it. I like it. I didn't like, I don't like it now as much as I did on first listen, but I don't know. I feel like some rappers, some, some rappers I listen to like, so like, for example, and by the way, I'm not no J. Cole stan. I like J. Cole. I feel like he gets a lot of unnecessary hate. I think that's that's that my thing. <laughs> that makes you no, a star. I, no. How does it make me? I just he gets unnecessary <laughs> hate for no reason. Like he just like for example, you saw the All Mario get bar. That, hate. <laughs> but do you do you see the Mario bar that he got hate? Like everyone was making fun of. Because it wasn't that good. That's why. <laughs> yeah, but but who was saying it was like a who was saying like it was a historic bar? Like I listened to. Um, I listened to okay. What was the song? Seeing Green. Drake's first uh, first ver- like first bar was this ain't gonna be the first time I did numbers on two crutches. And I thought that was hard ass bar because but everyone else, I saw other people like oh that's not even that hard of a bar like it's just like not every bar for me like for example I listen I like listening to Eminem sometimes and this last album by Eminem the music to be murdered by Part B I think is his best stuff since like two thousand like I think a lot of the stuff in between there sucked but then music to be murdered by Part B I really like. But basically, my point is, is, like, I listen to Eminem. I'm listening to Eminem because I like listen because I know when I listen to him, I'm going to get, okay, let's see the bars. Let's see how he, like, all the different meanings he has in this bar, that bar, this bar. Like, I listen to him because I want that when I listen to him. When I'm listening to J. Cole, I'm not expecting, like, to, 
I'm like, I'm not saying that he's like the best lyricist of all time. And I'm not like, like, I don't get like when he said the Mario bar, I was like, you know, that was okay. That's, that's cool. Like Mario. I like Mario. Like it didn't like pop off my head, like the best bar ever. But I think but, like, that's I exactly why J. Cole gets hate. So you probably, so you don't do it. It sounds like, but whenever J. Cole drops music or does anything, his fans hype it up as like the greatest thing ever. Like the sports center <laughs> account, I'm pretty sure tweeted out that Mario and Luigi bar, like just all the, did. you know, like all the, <laughs> like all the blue check mark, like music, sports accounts, like probably like house of highlights, you know, like probably Legion sports, whoever, like they all tweeted out that Mario and Luigi bar. And it just became like everybody just basically like, I was became like a meme in and of itself. Like how, like how much engagement could I get by tweeting out this bar that was overall pretty bit, you know, <laughs> like, but I feel like with every J Cole album, like something like that happens, like it became like this big thing when he went platinum with no features. And it's like, since when is like have, having no features on the album, like this mismark to clear, you know, it was like J Cole <laughs> fans like invented this thing that J Cole did. You know, it's like it's like saying Kendrick Lamar went platinum doing a funk album. You know, like that's why he's the goat. It's like no, he, like he did a funk album. Like it, it, he doesn't that doesn't arbitrarily make him better because he did this. You know that nobody else did. You know, but they just find ways to hype J Cole up, and I just feel like it's just rarely ever warranted. Like that Mario Lazy bar. It's like it was it's like a Big Sean punchline. Like it, you know, like I'm not hating on Big Sean. Like I like Big Sean, but it. But you know, if I if I if I hyping this up, the big shot should go viral for like a lot of his bars because he does stuff like that a lot. Like, like let's dig up some old ludicrous punchlines while we're at it. You know, like what's special come about on, this one line? On. <laughs> Why is ludicrous have to get in the crossfire? Come on, <laughs> I like ludicrous. I like ludicrous. <laughs> I'm just saying, like if we're hyping up rappers for like punchlines that are okay, then I have a Rolodex of lines that we could that we could put on Sports Center. You know, but you know, but that's Fair what enough. happens with J Cole. Like his fans, like. J. Cole does something that's like, okay. And like his fans would be like, man, this is like the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, all right. Like it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, your first experience with Italian food is Olive Garden. And you're like, this is incredible. <laughs> Everybody needs to go to Olive Garden. Like their chicken Alfredo is insane. I like Olive Garden. It's good. You know, like I'm not hating on Olive Garden. I'll go there. Like I think their food is good. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, shine a light on it as like, you know, the, the, uh, standard bearer for Italian food, you know, <laughs> like, but it is good. Like, that's kind of how I feel about J. Cole. I like his, a lot of his stuff. You know, I'm not like a J. Cole super fan, but every album has songs I like, you know, for sure. Uh, you know, there's not a J. Cole album I hate or anything, but whatever he drops, like, I just have to avoid Twitter because everybody acts like, uh, you know, like Jesus came back. And it's just like, man, like, I, I can't, like, I just don't understand this level of hype. Like, is there so many other rappers See, here See, actually, like you, just, you just brought that up. Yeah. You, you you just brought that up. This this there's this bar, and then we'll, I say one more thing because this podcast is running a little bit long. I'll say one more thing after this. He had one bar. I can't remember it word for word, but it was hard as hell. I don't care what you say. This one was hard. <laughs> it was on punching the clock. He said something about something something about God on a something about God on a cross, like the start of Christianity. That bar was hard. I don't care what anyone says. That bar was hard as hell. That bar yeah. was hard. He had something on his freestyle, too. That was nice. And that was the other thing, too. Like, he had better, like, lines on the album. So I don't know why the Mario and Luigi thing became, like, a thing. I see. I can't but, agree with that. Yeah. I can I can feel that. He had better bars, so I don't know why that one was the one that was hyped up. Yeah. But, you know, but to be a J. Cole stand, you have to take, you know, the stuff by him that's just okay and, like, like it's the greatest thing ever. You can't even give him credit for, like, the truly great stuff. You know, you have to just take the stuff that's, like, a 7 out of 10 and make it, like, it was a 10 out of 10. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why J. Cole fans are just so committed to, like, 
not even promoting his best work. Like, <laughs> like, like, that's, not, <laughs> like that's that's what I get. Like, at least hype up the bars that are worthy of it. Like, put an M on your head. Now you're Luigi's brother. Like, come on. I could think of like a hundred lines from the last year that I like better than that that didn't get a tenth of the attention. Like, that's my issue with J. Cole. It's not him. It's his fan base. Like, you know, they're bringing the Olive Garden leftovers over. Like, man, you got to try this. This is amazing. You know, didn't even heat it up in the microwave. Eat this cold chicken Alfredo and tell me that this will be the best thing you ever had. <laughs> All right, we'll leave him alone. We're, we're just, let's just leave. Let's just leave, let's just yeah. leave that alone. Thank you for giving um, me the soapbox. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess. But we're at fifty. We're at fifty-one minutes. They're going to kill me for running this long. So I guess I'll say this last yeah. thing. Uh, man, you, I, I'm. We had this. We had to have a conversation at one point about Kendrick. Man, you can't. You can't. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you Kendrick stand say. You guys can't keep putting him at the top of the game or like top five or anything. The man hasn't dropped music since 2000. Like you can't, you just can't, man. You can't, you can't take this long of a break and and, continue, and think that you can be like that. That's like that'd be like for example, Jay Z, like dropping what he did like er, like in his prime, and then just like only focusing on business for however long, never dropping any music. Like I'm still at the top of the game. Like you can't just you can't, you can't be at the top of the game if you're not dropping music, man. You have to drop something, and it's been way too long. It's been way too long, man. Yeah. Well. I like I like when artists take breaks because you know when they come back they're gonna have something to say. Like Isaiah Rashad just did a Q and A. You know he took like a four year break, five year break. He just did a Q and A with Billboard uh, where he, they were like, "When's the next album gonna come?" And he's like, "You know you can't expect me to drop music every seven to eight months because music is a reflection of where I'm at in life currently. Uh, you know, and I may not drop another album for four or five years because I'm not gonna have nothing to say for four or five years. But when I drop it, you know it's gonna be great. And both of Isaiah Rashad's albums so far have been like top tier." You know, like, same with Frank Ocean. I love Frank Ocean. Frank, you know, may not drop another album until 2026, but you know he's going to have something to say and it's going to be great. Like, I'd rather wait a long time for something great than just get something, you know, every single year and you don't have anything to say and it's just like, all right. Like, that's my issue with Drake. Like, he, you know. I like, knew I it. I still know we're ending I love Drake. I knew, I knew I love it. Drake, <laughs> but his albums have too much mid. I love Drake, though, but his albums have too much mid. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I knew I, I as you were going with this explanation, I'm like, I feel like you're you're sending some subliminal shots, like kind of like your favorite rapper likes to do. He likes to send a lot of subliminal shots over at the at the wait, what do you call them in the, in the freestyle sensitive uh, sensitive rapper back in his pajama clothes, haha, jokes on you, whatever. But yeah. just say his name, Kendrick. Say his name. Go out there. It's been years. Yeah. You haven't said his name yet. What's what's going on, man? I, you know what? I, I can see the look at your face. We're not going to go in this. I'll end it here. Thank you for coming on. By the way, if you haven't, Omar, you need to go listen to Drake's verse on seeing green because you can't tell me you didn't snap on that. But uh, anyways, thank you for coming on here and talking Pistons and and some hip-hop over the last, like, 15 minutes. I know this is really long. They're going to kill me for it. But when it's good content, it's good content. It is what it is. But make sure you guys go follow him. Like I said, on Twitter, at Omari Sankofa. He's the beat writer over at Detroit Free Press. Thank you again for joining me. Um, have, I hope you guys have the great rest of your day. Hope you guys enjoyed listening. And I'll catch you guys in the next podcast. Peace out, everybody.